I am terrible with musical instruments. I know I like the sound of it. I don't know what they're called, but just a big fiddle to me. But I appreciate that. That was a very well done. I have enjoyed being this at uh, camp this week and uh, enjoyed getting to meet all of you. And uh, you've done so well listening. And I thank the Lord for uh, what he's done in your heart. How many of you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior this week? Anybody trust Christ as your Savior? Isn't that wonderful? God bless you, young people. No greater joy in all the world than to know that Jesus Christ is your Savior. What a Savior we have. And I thank the Lord for that. And uh, my, my heart has been thrilled this whole week at how well you've responded to the preaching. You've listened. You've given an ear. And uh, I'm thankful for that. I don't, take it, uh, I don't take it lightly to be at camp for a whole week. I want to thank the Lord for Brother Herbster and his family and all of the staff here at uh, Southland Christian Camp and the work that you put in at this camp and the spirit in which you do it. Uh, one of the things I'm amazed by here is that I've been to camps, okay, but there is just a spirit of excellence in everything that goes on, from the music to everything that they do, they, they do it right and with the joyful spirit. And uh, they're just fun to be around. And uh, I love the Herbster family, and I thank you for the example that you've set uh, for all of us to follow, serving the Lord with gladness. Amen? Serving the Lord with gladness. Let me tell you something. There's not a young person in this room, there's not one of you in this room, I dare say, that wouldn't want to have a family like their family. If you could have a family where you you could serve the Lord together, your children are serving the Lord together and enjoying it, and uh, having a great spirit, you would want that. But there's a key to that. We're gonna talk about that tonight. And I'm gonna ask you one more time uh, tonight to give an ear, not to me, but to the Holy Spirit. I told you Monday night, God loves you. God's good. God has a plan for you. You're not a mistake, you're not an accident. My parents thought I was. They've told me all along. You were a mistake. Now they love me and they say that in love. They say they say that in love. My dad always told me that when he gave me a spank and he said, son, I love you, that's why I do this. Man, I was thinking, I can't wait till I get old enough to return my love. But anyway, I don't know about you, but how many of you ever got a whooping when you were a kid? You ever get a whooping? Yes. Man, I'm talking about, we didn't get swats at our house. We got an old fashioned whooping. My dad was raised on a, on a ranch in Montana, so dad would just look at you. He was very easygoing, very patient man, but he was dead set in what he believed. And dad would just look at you, and you knew you were in trouble because there was a little blood vein on the side of dad's head, and it would pop out. And when the vein was out, it was, oh no. And my dad would just look at me and he'd say, go to your room and get ready for a spanking. Oh, no. And I would go to my room, and I would go in there, and I would sit on the bed. And I would just think, okay, come on. Get ready for this, Dean. Get ready for this. And, man, I was never ready. (laughs) Ever. I I didn't know why Dad made us go to the room so early, but I, I found out later that what my dad was doing was he was giving himself a chance to cool off so he didn't kill us. 
But that waiting game in the room was awful. It seemed like an eternity. And we had a loose board in our hallway. And dad would be walking in the hallway, and when he hit that board, it'd be like, and you would just know, like, oh, no. Then your heart would, your heart would be like, <laughs> dad would walk in, and he would take his belt off slowly, like, through the belt loops. I still can't take my belt off without getting shivers. Like, oh, man. <clears throat> then he would fold the belt over, and then I'm just sitting on the bed just looking at him. He would fold the belt over, and George, he would just look at me, and he would say, Nadine, you know what you did. Pow! <laughs> right? And that belt was like a piranha, man. It was like, Rah! you know, it's like Jaws coming to get you. You know what you did. And you know the rule. And you broke the rule. And now has come the time. I'm like, let's just get it over with. Let's go. And so he would always say, now, Dean, I want you to bend over. Put your feet on the floor. Lay over the bed. Hold that pillow. And put your face in the pillow. Bite the pillow, Dean. Now, I always thought that when my dad wanted us to bite the pillow, it was for the pain factor. You know, like on the old Westerns, you know, you just bite something when they're doing the surgery, getting a bullet out of you. You know, just, oh, just man up and bite the pillow. I found out later that dad put our face in a pillow so that when he spanked us, the neighbors wouldn't hear us screaming and call the cops on us or something. So we just got our face in the pillow and our feet on the floor. And the rule was, you do not put your hands back. You put your hands back and we're starting over. Anybody with me on that? So my hands are up here, I'm biting the pillow, I'm all tense, and dad's just standing back there, and he said, now son, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I'm like, yeah, right. And then here it is, man, he's like, okay, you're gonna get three. Oh man, come on. So there's the first one, pow! Well, when he hit me, that thing stung so bad. You can't cry, all you're doing is just sucking in air. Like that, you're just sucking in air. And dad's thinking, oh man, he's not even crying. I gotta hit him harder. And so the second one is whack, and then it's just, <laughs> And then I always made that mistake, man, because I'm on fire. And then dad's going down for three, and I'm coming back like this. And dad hits my hands, whack, and then I come up with a T-Rex. <laughs> I'm, I'm crippled now in my am withered hands. And dad doesn't mind. He's just like, now we're starting over. Man, he would give you three. Oh, they were terrible. And then he would sit you on the bed. Now here, have a seat. Yeah, okay, right. And then he'd say, let's talk about it. Let's pray. I love you. And he would pray with you. I wasn't in an attitude to pray right now. <laughs> then he would leave and he'd say, now listen, when you dry your eyes up and all that, you can come back to the supper table. So after a minute, man, you okay. Act like that didn't hurt. You come walking out. My two older brothers are sitting at the table. They're looking at me like, yeah, we know what that's like. And I'm walking out like, what? It didn't hurt. You know, it didn't hurt. Man, what are you talking about? That didn't hurt at all. That didn't hurt at all. That wasn't. I'm just going to hover, okay? <laughs> so then you're sitting there like everything's cool, but then the sup-sups give you away. You're like, yeah, it was. A 
You ever have the subs subs after you get a spanking? You're just sitting there like, yeah, it wasn't that. <laughs> Got the subs subs for a while. <laughs> okay, it was bad. <laughs> now, my mom was not like that at all. I did figure it out one time, though. My dad looked at me one time and he said, Dean, go to your room. Get ready for a spanking. I walked to my room and I'm like, okay, come on. I'm always in here getting ready for a spanking. I'm never ready when dad gets it. And he's telling me to get ready and I'm never ready. I'm getting ready. This time when my dad hit the floor, I just kind of smiled. Dad opened the door. I'm standing there smiling. When he walked in, I had every pair of undershorts, every sweatpants, had my snowsuit on. I was standing there like the Michelin man. I'm like, hey, Dad, I'm ready for a spanking. Listen, you go ahead, man. Fire, fire at will. I'm ready now. <laughs> I promise you, this is going to wear you out before it wears me out. Just don't knock me over because I can't get back up, all right? Now my poor mom, man, mom never, mom never told us to get ready for a spanking, ever. My mother's <coughs> five foot three, little Scandinavian, comes from the land of the Vikings. And my mom would just be like, boys, knock it off. You know, knock it off. I'm serious, knock it off. And she would just go, you know, for a while. And then all of a sudden, mom would just hit a point. And I think behind her hair, there was like a little pressure valve or something. It would just, and it would go off. And mom would just hit a point. And there was no getting a belt. There was no going to the room. There was no three spankings. Mom would just grab whatever was around. It didn't matter what it was. Rolling pin, curling iron. It didn't matter. My, my mom would grab whatever was at hand. One time, I think she grabbed my brother. And she's beating with my brother. My brother's like, what did I do? And my mom would not give you three spankings. She would spank you in syllables. I told you not to do that. I said that you were going to be a good boy. Stop saying supercalifragilist. Like, wait till your father gets, I mean, just call him dad. Dad is one syllable. Father is two. she just chase you around with whatever. Man, mom and dad would tear us up, give us a whooping. Anybody ever have a whooping? Well, let me tell you something. God loves you enough that he'll chasten those that he loves. My mom and dad, my mom and dad loved me enough to correct me. And what I found was this. When I lived in obedience to mom and dad, and they, everything they had was mine. Dad was so good. Mom was so good. But when I had my own will, my own way, it had to be broken. Let me tell you tonight, many of you are saved. But you've never given God your will. You've never surrendered your will to the Lord. I want, to, I want to preach tonight for just a few minutes. I want you to take your Bible. We're going to turn to a couple of places. I want you to find, first of all, I want you to find the book of Genesis. We're going to go to the book of Genesis, and we're going to find chapter number 12. And then we're going to go back, if you'll just mark that 
for just a moment and run back with me to the book of John. And John chapter 1. God is so good and he loves you young people and God has a plan. He's got something for you. God wants to use you. God wants to do great things with your life. God wants to make you something. And the only thing that stands in the way of what God has for your life is your will. It's the only thing that stands in the way is your will. God gave you a will. And by the way, it was our will that got us in a mess. God gave us a free will. And he did that, young people. Listen, God gave us a free will. I've had people ask all the time, if God knew that Adam and Eve were gonna eat of that tree, why would he put that tree there and tell them not to eat it? Because for God not to have given man a free will would have actually been an act of evil. Because love is the greatest good. Don't miss what I'm gonna say right now. Because love is the greatest good. You say, how do you know that? What's the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul, all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. The greatest commandment and the greatest good is love. And love can only be exercised by the will and by choice. And for God not to give man the opportunity to choose between self and God would have been to take away from man the greatest good. God loves you enough that he's let you have a will. Young people, can I tell you something? This is not part of the message tonight, but I want you to hear it very carefully because it illustrates it. In the Garden of Eden, God had put a test of man's will and of man's love. He said, of this tree thou shalt not eat. This belongs to me. Eve was tempted. Adam was tempted and Eve deceived and Adam in the transgression and they ate of the fruit of the tree. And man, in that moment, mankind was plunged into sin, failing the test. But in just a moment, God came walking in the cool of the day. God walked into that garden and God said, Adam, where art thou? And Adam came out from behind the bushes, clothed in fig leaves. And God said, Adam, why are you wearing those leaves? He said, well, because I was naked and ashamed. Who told you that you were naked? Well, it was my wife, this woman that you gave me. God, it was her fault and it was your idea. He blamed God. He blamed her. He said to Eve, who told you? She said, it was the serpent. The devil did it. Now listen very carefully. It wasn't just man and his love that was being tested. Man failed the test, but listen, God's love was being tested. God took an animal and he slew it and he clothed them and he brought them back to himself in fellowship because God's will was to love. God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. For God so loved the world 
that while we were yet sinners, if you extrapolate that out the right way, it'll say this. It'll say this, that God demonstrated, that God commended his love toward us in that while we were sinning, he was dying. The picture of, of that verse in Romans 5, 8 is that we're in the dirt and we're laying there in our sin and our filth and we're committing the very acts of sin and while we're doing that in his face, he is dying for it. God chose to love you. And his love was demonstrated in sacrifice. With Adam and Eve, God chose to love them even in their sin. And his love was demonstrated in sacrifice. Now don't miss what I'm saying tonight. God's love was demonstrated in sacrifice. And God loved you and he gave his own begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What mercy God gave to you. And God says to us now, listen, I've bought you and I've made you. And I want to do something with you. I want to make you. Look with me in Genesis chapter 12 and look at verse one, number one. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, get thee out from thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. Notice the process here. Look at what God said. Abram, I want you to leave everything that you are behind. And I want you to come with me. And when you come with me, I will make you. Have you ever noticed? Have you ever noticed that God is in the business of making people? Have you ever noticed that God was the one that made man to begin with? And then after God made us, we fell into sin and we were disfigured in sin. We died in our trespasses and sins. Listen very carefully. We look at people and we say, they're in the image of God. We ought to love each other because we're all made in the image of God. No, we're not. No, we're not. That's a lie. We're all in the image of God. No, we're not. God's not, God's not in this mess. God's not this messed up. I mean, just look around at all of us. God's not in this shape. See, what we forgot to read, we forgot to read over there in the book of Genesis chapter 5, that then, <laughs> then Adam had a son in his own image after his likeness. Adam was made in the likeness of God, but he fell into sin. And then Adam had children in his own likeness. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered the world, and death by sin. So that death passed upon all men. God didn't do that. That's not the image of God. You weren't born in the image of God when you were born in sin. You weren't born in the image of God when you were born in transgression, when you were born in the image of your father Adam. You weren't born in the image of God when you knew how to lie and steal and cheat and disobey and be willful against God and live in rebellion. That's not the image of God. That's the image of our father Adam. And that's why Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born again. So that I can transform you and make you into the image of Christ. Listen to me very carefully, young people. God is in the business of making people. 
He wants to save us and then make us. God wants to make us. I want you to think for just a moment. I want you to think for the God's plan here with Abraham. God said, Abraham, I want you to leave your father and mother, and I want you to come with me, and I will make you something. And notice what he said. Look at very carefully in that same passage. Chapter 12, verse number 2. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. Did you see it? I will make you, and then I'll bless you. This is always God's plan. God wants to take broken people, have those people come to himself. God takes those broken people, he makes those broken people, and he makes them into the kind of people he can bless. See, this is backwards from what the prodigal son said. The prodigal son came to his father, and he said to his father, Father, give me. Give me. And his father gave to him. And then he took what his father gave him and he went into a far country and he wasted his substance with riotous living. He lived in sin. He lived in wickedness. He defiled himself in that far country. And notice this. It was in the pig pen when he was eating the slop with the pigs. He came to himself and he said, what am I doing? In my father's house is bread to spare. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to my father, a father, I am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your servants. See, the problem with the prodigal son is he had it backwards. He told the father, I want you to give me and later he said, I want you to make me. God's plan is you come to God and you say, God, make me. When God makes you, he makes you somebody he can bless. He said to Abram, I want you to come. I want you to leave everything. Now think about what he was asking him to do. I want you to leave your father. I want you to leave your mother. I want you to leave your home. I want you to leave all the things that are familiar and comfortable in your life. And I want you to come with me. Where are we going? He said, I'm not going to tell you. I'm taking you to a city. Oh, where is the city? He said, I'll, I'll show it to you. Oh, where is it? You just follow me and you'll see it. And Abraham had to learn to leave everything behind and go with God. Everybody listening so far? And now follow this with me for just a second. This is introduction. I'm going to get to the message in a minute. Just follow me. Here's the thing with God. You'll see all the time the motive of God and his method that he uses. He took a man by the name of Abram. And when Abram left everything and came with him, and Abram began to walk with God and grow, eventually God took Abram, and God changed his name from Abram to Abraham. His wife was Sarai. God took Sarai and changed her name from Sarai to Sarah. A little while later, his grandson, his name was Jacob, the hill catcher, the deceiver, the supplanter, the trickster. And God said to Jacob, I want to I do something with you, Jacob. I want to bless you. But see, Jacob would never let God bless him. He kept trying to make deals with God. He was a manipulator. He was a thief. He was a stealer. He was a deceiver. Now watch this carefully. It wasn't until he was late in his life and when he was an old man, he got all alone. He finally got all alone. He was all by himself. God had met him in that day. And God brought down that angel, began to wrestle with Jacob. Let me tell you what he said. He said, tell me your name. He said, tell me your name. 
Jacob, in an act of desperation, finally said, I am Jacob. The last time he was asked what his name was was by his dad, and he said, my name is Esau. God said, I want you to tell me who your name is. What is your name? And he said, I'm deceiver. I'm supplanter. And God said, from now on, you will no longer be Jacob. You shall be Israel, a prince with God. You see, God, if you look through the Bible, God has always been in the business of changing people's names. I told you to mark, now don't don't lose Genesis. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But I want you to go back and find the book of John. Are you ready? This is one of the funniest things I've read in the Bible, and it's, it's, such, a, it's such a marvel to me. <laughs> but when you really look at it, we oftentimes just read the Bible, and we don't really think about this in real life. But this happened in real life. This is a crazy thing. Let's look at this verse in John chapter 1. Verse number 40, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And then Andrew first finds his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted Christ. We found the Christ, the Messiah, that's been prophesied for thousands of years. We found him. And the Bible says he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonas. Thou shalt be called Cephas. Now, I I want you to think about this for a minute. I know sometimes meeting somebody is an awkward thing. But can you imagine your brother coming to you and say, hey, we found the Messiah. Come here, let me show you something. Come here, come here, come here. Come here, Peter. Come here, Peter. Or Simon. Simon. Simon, you're my brother. You're not going to believe this. You remember how Moses and, and, and the prophets prophesied about a Messiah? You remember that? Yeah. We found him. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. We found him. You're doing great. We found him. <laughs> I love, let, me show, let me show him. Let me show him. And so he brings him, right? And he's coming over here. This is Simon. He's coming to meet Jesus for the first time. And Jesus walks up and goes, you're Simon. Yeah. Thou shalt be Cephas. Can you imagine meeting somebody and telling them your name? Like, what's your name? Hey, Joel. You're going to be called Anthony. (laughs) Hey, what's your name? Mackenzie. Thou shalt be Mephibosheth. (laughs) What's your name? Landon. Landon. Thou shalt be taking off. (laughs) You get it? Landon, taking off. Is landing or taking off? I don't know. I mean, can you imagine? You just you meet somebody and you say, "Hey, what's your name?" Tyler. Tyler. Thou shalt be called Zerubbabel. <laughs> I mean, what a weird, what a weird meeting. And first of all, let me just say this: the Bible says that first of all, Jesus beheld him. The word "beheld" means to steadily gaze on him. He just like. What's your name? Hunter. Hunter. You shall be called Prey. The hunter shall become the hunted. 
I mean, this, this is how Jesus met Peter. Can you imagine what Peter's saying? Peter's like, hey, it's going to be the Messiah. I mean, this is amazing. Okay, he's going to change my name. <laughs> but see, here's, here's, the, here's the great thing about the Lord. Is that God doesn't see you who you are. He sees you for who he can make you to be. And what stands in the way of that is your will. What stands in the way of you being who you are and who God wants you to be is your will. I mean, did not Peter have a problem with his will? I mean, if you know the Bible at all, you know that Peter had a major problem with his will. Jesus said to Peter, hey, I'm gonna go to the cross now. And Peter said, yeah, right, not on my watch. They ain't taking you alive. Jesus said, Peter, get you behind me, Satan. He had a problem with his will. Jesus said, I want you to stay here and pray for a while. Peter fell sound asleep. I mean, he sacked out. Jesus is over there praying in great agony, and he comes back and finds Peter sleeping. He's like, hey, Peter, what, can you not watch me for one hour? I mean, you don't have enough willpower for one hour to stay awake and pray? What is the problem? So then Jesus goes back and prays a little bit more, and then he comes back and finds him sleeping. And you know what Peter says? My eyes were heavy. I mean, your eyelids weigh like 0.5 grams. And Peter was like, I can't hold them up. Now, he had a problem with his will. Young people, listen to me. I don't know who you are tonight, but God knows who you are. But he knows who he wants you to be. And he wants to make you. Now let me tell you the difference between those that God makes. Those that God takes and he makes them. And those who decide to take themselves and make it for themselves. A life always trying to get out of trouble and running from the bad decisions you've made and trying to make a mess uh, into something else and trying to find a way to make it in this world. Are you going to have a life of peace and joy and blessing just standing with the Lord? When you go home, you're going to have a place where you stand with God every day and take a stand with God every day and be a soldier of the cross and live for Jesus and let him make you so he can bless you. Are you going to have a life at peace? Or a life of panic and ruin. God wants to make you so he can bless you. You see, young people, I'll tell you this. Later in Lot's life, there was a time that Lot wished he could have changed his name. Because we read thousands of years later when Peter is writing and he's writing about Lot, who vexed his righteous soul in Sodom. And he had a name of being a man who ruined his life. He had no devotion to God. He had worldly desires, made wrong decisions, destroyed his life. He wished he could have changed his name. If you go to Great Britain today and you look up in the registry in Great Britain, you'll find a family name of Tandy, T-A-N-D-E-Y. What's interesting about the name Tandy 
is years ago there was a young soldier in the British Army, and his name was Henry. Henry Tandy. Henry Tandy went to war in World War I. World War I was a brutal war. Trench warfare and all kinds of gas, and it was just a vicious war. In the Austrian army, there was a young private. That young private had a job. He was a messenger. He would run through the trenches from unit to unit and send messages up and down the trenches to the other, 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 other uh, divisions. One day, this young Austrian private was given a message, and he was told to go several miles down the trenches, and he put the message in his satchel, and he took off running. He was running to those trenches, and somewhere on his journey, a mortar round came in and blew that young Austrian private out of the trench and into the dreaded no-man's land between the trenches. In the fog of war, the man, the bomb went off. His ears are ringing. He's, he's, he's in a shock. His head is pounding, and he stands up, and he's looking for his satchel. He grabs his satchel. He slings it over his head. He's looking for his helmet. He's got to have his helmet because often in the trenches, his head is exposed. He finally finds his helmet. His ears are ringing. His eyes are blurry. He puts his helmet on, and he looks up, and 30 yards away, Henry Tandy has him dead to rights. For what seemed like an eternity, Henry Tandy looked down the sights of his rifle right at the heart of that Austrian private. And for reasons unknown, Henry Tandy dropped his rifle. The Austrian private took a few cautious steps backwards, realized that Tandy was not gonna shoot. He jumped into the trench. He tipped his hat, got low, and began to run. World War I came to an end. There was all sorts of chaos in the European world. Time went on. Henry Tandy was one of the most decorated British airmen. He became a man who won the Victorian Cross. A French artist came down to London and drew a beautiful painting of Henry Tandy with his Victorian Cross and a hero's pose. It's a very famous picture. It was broadcast all throughout Europe in the papers, this great decorated war hero, Henry Tandy. Years went by. Things began to go awry in Germany, and Germany had a guy come to the forefront. We all know him today, just a wicked dictator. His name was Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler decided that he was going to help evolution out, and he began to gas the Jews. Six million Jews he gassed in the furnaces. Six million Jews. He was eradicating everybody. He was beginning to create an axis of evil and get other nations involved. His goal was world dominance under the swastika of the Nazi flag. The British prime minister at the time was seeing the drum beats heading for World War II and his name was Neville Chamberlain. Neville Chamberlain decided that instead of going to war with Germany and trying to do something about Adolf Hitler, Neville Chamberlain would go to 
Germany would sit down and try to have a diplomatic dip talk with Adolf Hitler. Adolf was very kind. He brought Neville Chamberlain, the prime minister of Great Britain, into his home, took him into his own private study at his house. They were sitting there and they were chatting and Neville Chamberlain was talking with Adolf Hitler and they were discussing world affairs and Adolf Hitler got up from his desk and went over to a little bar over there to make himself a drink and when Neville Chamberlain looked to that side of the room above Adolf Hitler's head was that painting of Henry Tandy. And he could not believe it. The British Prime Minister could not believe that Adolf Hitler this German dictator would have a picture of a British airman, a war hero, hanging in his office. Neville Chamberlain says to him, Adolf, why do you have this picture in your office? And Adolf Hitler turned around. And Neville Chamberlain's testimony was that tears were in Adolf Hitler's eyes. And he said, this man, this man, he gave me my life. When I saw this picture in the paper, I had looked into those eyes. I had studied that face. I was in the battle. I had been blown out of my trench. I was a messenger boy in the first war. I was standing in no man's land. When I gathered my thoughts, I looked up, and this man had me dead to rights but he gave me my life. Neville Chamberlain came back to Great Britain and he went and found this decorated war hero who was the head of the Navy and he came to him and he said, Henry, did you fight in this such and such battle? He said, yes, I was there. He said, do you remember on a certain day that there was a young man blown out of a trench and you were standing there with your rifle and you had him dead to rights? And you... And you you let him go? Do you remember that? And he said, well, I, I don't really remember that. I mean, I, I did that a couple of times. There were several times that I had mercy. And he said, so you did? You remember? And he said, yeah, I, I remember. I was in the battle. He said, do you know who that man was? He said, I don't know. He was a messenger boy. He was a private He said, but now he's no longer a messenger boy. He's a murderer. Adolf Hitler. The story said that Henry Tandy fell into his chair. Could hardly breathe. He resigned his post immediately. He went home and he gathered his children together. And he said, I have destroyed our family name. We will no longer spell our name T-A-N-D-Y. We'll be T-A-N-D-E-Y. For I want no one to know what I've done. Here's a man who spent the rest of his life in shame trying to rewrite the story. He's tried to tell through the years. He tried to retell the story because he was a man who had a moment. He had a moment 
to rewrite history. Six million Jews were in that moment. 55 million civilians in World War II, their lives hung in that moment. Almost 100 million people's lives were lost. 100 million people's lives were lost because Henry didn't pull the trigger. I want to tell you something I think more tragic than that. Satan is staring your life down tonight. And he doesn't look so sinister and bad. He looks like a career. He looks like your own desire. He looks like money. He looks like that boy. He looks like that girl. He looks like your own desires. He's standing there looking at you, and you have an opportunity tonight to crush him. To put him down. And to give your life to Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about being saved. I'm talking about being surrendered. Totally giving your life to Christ. The question is tonight, do you have enough in you to pull the trigger? To present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Say, God, I'm giving you me. Young people, we're not talking about just lives at stake. We're talking about souls in eternity. What you could do with your life. What God could do with you if you gave him everything tonight. Does he have every key to every room of your life? Is your all, is your all, is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Can you really sing tonight, I surrender all? God loves you tonight, young people. He wants to change you into the one he made you to be. He doesn't want you to go through your life wishing you could change your name out of shame. And it comes down tonight. Will you trust him enough to give him everything?